0: Yeah, it goes by so quickly. And, and I'm, I'm fortunate. Like, I, I want to see other places. I want to play for, for different teams. And, and as long as you're contending, right? And you want to be one yeah. of the teams that can, that can hopefully well, win. Well, you're going somewhere. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you're
1: not going to the fucking Kraken, baby. <laughs> you're going to the Canes. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited.
0: I'm really excited.
1: When I stepped on the ice, I never backed down and I never stayed down. And I was vicious and I was malicious. And I don't care. I'm alive. He's a freaking madman. Look at him going I'm to town. That'll be a suspension. That'll be a fine. Alive, I'm alive, I'm alive. Welcome to the show. Awesome uh, that you joined Tim and I today. I appreciate it. Um God. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've followed you from day one your career obviously um growing up in Connecticut me moving back to Montreal um kind of coincided with your time there um let's go back to Connecticut just quick if we can growing up there what was that like as far as you growing up in organized hockey there
0: it's funny you say that because or ask that because hockey in Connecticut growing up was pretty poor and, and and uh We didn't have many teams. Uh, It just so happened that a bunch of the kids from our team, we had really good coaching, a guy by the name of Mike Backman, who's actually uh, Jonathan Quick's father-in-law, Matt Molson's father-in-law. He coached a bunch of the local teams. And uh, his son wasn't even our age, but he coached our team as well. And I think it turned into this hockey hotbed where, you know, uh, Jonathan Quick, uh, Kevin Shanker, Cam Atkinson, a bunch of the guys on the team, uh, ended up making it. And and then I go back now and I see what, what youth hockey is like now that I have kids of my own. And it's just, you know, first rounders every year are coming out of there and they just won the brick tournament for the third year in a row, which is the 10U like best tournament in the world for, for youth hockey. So um, I, I believe it all started with that coach, Mike Backman, but it's, it's amazing how it's evolved into the hockey hotbed that it is right now. And and it makes sense that it turned that way. I, I think hockey wasn't popular then um, until about 94. I think that's when the Rangers won the Cup. That's when I put on skates uh, for the first time after watching, you know, Messier guarantee the, the win and, and lift the Cup at the Garden. And that's the reason why I played hockey is watching that series and, and that season. And I think that's kind of what kick I guess, uh, the movement of youth hockey in Connecticut and the whole New York area.
1: Well, it's funny you say that because me growing up in Boston and back in the day when I was a kid, you know, it was Boston and Minnesota. Those were the two yeah. places you played hockey in the U.S. And then it started to spread, obviously, the NHL running grassroots programs. And, and like you said, the Rangers won the Cup. That was a big thing. And I think obviously Backman, I played against him. I know him, Mike Backman. And um, it's funny because you said Backman had such a big part in that, but I think Jerry Dwyer would fucking be pissed if he heard you saying (laughs) that right now. He'd be like, you shit me, it wasn't Backman, it was me. It was Jerry Dwyer (laughs) responsible. But no, and Jerry, honestly, uh, Jerry and I went to college together, played together. He coached uh, Max some when he was a kid. And Jerry told me all about, and it is amazing when, Hockey starts in Connecticut like that. And the kids you play with growing up, I mean, they all, not all of them made the NHL, but right? Atkinson, Quick, Uh, yourself, who
2: else? Who was the the other ones?
0: uh, Shattenkirk, Shattenkirk. Ben Smith, Mark Arcabello.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like to have six kids. Where's Ryan Shannon? Where's like Ryan Shannon from?
0: Well, yeah. So I shouldn't leave Ryan Shannon. He was the wave before us, he was like the only one really that made it before anybody. I think he might be an 83. So I think he's four or five years older than me. Um, yeah, I shouldn't disrespect him because he was <laughs> the first one to really make it. But he kind of made it on his own without that, uh, I guess, hotbed mentality of, of, you know, a bunch of us are going to make it. So he's actually coaching my my old high school right now. So he's in the area trying to build up the hockey there as well.
2: And now, before you though, in your family, like no, like are you the first to play? Because like your mom, your mom's from Mexico, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, my mom, in, like, yeah, born in Mexico.
0: Uh, my dad from California, uh, San Fran area. They just packed up one day, moved out east. Said we're we're sick of uh, the West Coast. They went to Manhattan once they had kids. They moved to Connecticut. And uh, like I said, when the Rangers won the Cup, me and my dad went wow. uh, to the local rink, went free skating, um, and the rest was history. I think. Once I was able to beat him in a race around the rink, that's when he signed me up for hockey. And then uh, we just kind of fell in love with the game together. So that uh, hockey
1: hotbed of Connecticut, you end up going, I went the prep school route. I went to Northwood school. I looked at going to Taft. You went to Taft. Um, How was that experience at Taft? And and listen, uh, hockey being the main one, but you had to play three sports there. What were those
0: three sports? I'm embarrassed to admit that... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I managed I managed the field hockey team in the fall. <laughs> I uh, did hockey in the winter, obviously. And then I it was really good. Our coach made us do track in the spring. So we ran the 400 and the 800, which was pretty cool. So yeah, yeah. prep school was
1: awesome experience. <laughs> and you go there, then you play a year in uh, Sioux City and off to the University of Michigan. Why did you go west, young man, instead of staying in the east? Because I'm sure... BU, BC, all them schools probably wanted you,
0: right? No one wanted me. I was, really? Uh, when I committed, I, yeah, I, I was really small. I was in, in my uh, junior year. I think I grew like six inches and like, gained like 50 pounds. And I'd been talking actually Division three schools before then. But I had a family advisor at that time. And he was like, you know, I got a really good connection with Michigan. I could probably get you there in a half scholarship. So uh, he held his word. I, I got that half scholarship. I shot up like a beanstalk. I went to, the, to Sioux City that next year, went in the first round, and they ended up turning that uh, half scholarship into a full scholarship. And uh, yeah, it was kind of cool how it evolved. I was such a late bloomer. But I, I did go on a visit to BC. I never got offered anything. Uh, same thing with, uh, I think, Vermont, Harvard, and Dartmouth. Um, but at the end of the day, the only school that really offered me at the time was Michigan, and
2: and wow. I was really I didn't thankful know that. for that. Yeah. Did you have intentions just to go? You went one year. I mean, I, at school had to be fun, right? Like, did you go to any of the big house football games and all that? Yeah,
0: um, it was the best place on earth. <laughs> my sister ended up going after me because she just liked coming out visiting so much. The reason the, I, th- I think the main reason why I left was uh, m- both my line mates had signed. They they were seniors, Kevin Porter and Chad Calerick. And I think deep down there was a part of me that that worried about I don't want to say sophomore slump but you know like if my line mates were leaving would things be completely different would I maybe regress a little bit and and you know my first three year pro, three years pro really weren't easy I was up and down uh often and and there were times where I doubted uh, the decision to leave but at the end of the day it worked out. Yeah, that's certainly uh,
1: probably when you make that decision to leave college is the big thing. I know I wanted to leave after my second year. My father was all over me. No way you're leaving. You're staying, yeah. blah, blah, blah. I stay one more year, and I missed that Stanley Cup, the fourth in a row. I probably oh, yeah. would have been there for it. But that being said, you do leave. You make that move to leave, and, and you come to Montreal, um, go to camp, drafted in the first round, 22nd overall. What? To tell the people the story of you... Well, you score a goal in your first game, first shot on that, you yeah. score a goal. Tell the people the story of you on the bench, not playing, and actually asking, if you're not going to play, please send me down to Hamilton. Not many people do that.
0: Yeah. I You know what? I was, I was so naive. Uh, and I think almost in a good way. I just figured I'm going to be an NHL player. I'm going to be a top six player. Um, you know, I had an unbelievable camp my first year and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to make this team. And I was so dumb. Like they, they had this roster was completely set in stone. There was no room for me. So I ended up going down. I'm upset about it. I don't know why, because I should have known right from the beginning that there's no room for me, but I went down to Hamilton, probably didn't have the best attitude. Felt like I deserved to go up. Eventually got called up and, uh, I got called up for one day. They said, don't even come to the rink. Uh, and then they sent me down that night. I was so mad. And then I came up, uh, I think a couple weeks later, scored my first goal, thinking, you know, I'm on a line here with Alex Kovalov. I'm never <laughs> going to play in the minors again. You know, life, this is easy. And uh, boy, was I wrong. <laughs> I just, I think I went a long time without scoring. I, I, we changed coaches. We changed, uh, after that year, we changed management. I was just like uh, going up and down. But I kind of still had that like naive cockiness of, no, no like my time's going to come. Like, I don't know why it's taking so long, but I'm going to be an NHL player. This is what I'm going to do. And I just never really thought otherwise. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, I just sitting on the bench playing so little, felt my confidence was fading. And uh, I did like an interview and it was, you know, I think my phone woke me up before that interview. And I was just, <laughs> I was just <clears throat> honest about everything. And I had been telling people so much, like, if I'm not going to play, I might as well just go down. it's not about the money right now. It's about, you know, becoming the hockey player that I want to be. And, and I told them that I got sent down and I just, me and uh, my buddy, Davey Darnay just absolutely lit it up. I mean, we didn't have a care in the world We just go down there, play for an unbelievable coach, Randy Coneyworth. He just kind of let us do our thing play offense, have fun. That's what we did. And and eventually, we're having so much fun. I lit it up one game. I didn't even know the GM was there. And I guess he was waiting for me uh, after the game. And What GM was that, Max? Your- that was Pierre go- Pierre Gauthier. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so uh, lit it up that game. Just go home. You know, have a nice dinner. I look at my phone. I've got like 10 missed calls from the coaches, the GM, everyone the GM calls me and he's like, Hey, I was looking for you after the game. And I got to ask you, like, do you even want to go up? And I was like, I mean, I don't know. Am I going to play? And he's like, well, I I just can't have you down here anymore. Uh, like pack up your apartment. You're going up for good. (laughs) I was like, like looking back on it, it was so risky and so naive. And I guess, uh, I was pretty cocky about all that, but really it was the right decision to go down there. So I'm not mad with how it played out, but you know, I don't know if I'd have the, uh, the nuts to do that uh, today. And and yeah, so we stand here today and that's what happened. But there were times where I really doubted myself and I'm sure people don't, don't see that side of it.
2: To my, It's fun though. I, I think you're, I think that experience, I mean, I don't have the career you had, but I played against you a lot when I was in the Marlies. I remember you fighting Daryl Boyce. Yeah. So I knew like, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, I was guy that got called up here and there, but I remember a couple of times I was having so much fun. I get called up and I'd be like, fucking maybe call someone else up because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you're so comfortable. But no, I remember you down there and, and you definitely were doing whatever it took to get back up there, whatever you're doing. But um, yeah, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, we yeah. Uh, some of those Marley's bulldog battles <laughs> yeah. were you know, three and three, and
2: yeah, yeah. Like
0: our fighters would fight three days in a row, and they'd come to the game with their nose <laughs> touching their earlobe. It was just like, I, like I, uh, we said, we were so naive, like oh, this is so much fun. But you get your all your teeth knocked out with one, you know, swing of the stick, and you're just like, this is a long way from New England <laughs> prep school. But it, it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun down there.
1: Yeah. Listen, there's no question. Uh, and I think back to my days coming in, talk about na- naive. I didn't have a clue about pro hockey and how it ran, the way things worked. You know, when I came in max, they, they didn't like Americans. You were a yeah. kid. You, you were a fucking college kid yeah. is what you were. You were a fucking college kid. You know, they thought, Oh, if college kids are top this and that. And then certainly, uh, I changed that fucking perception pretty quick. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, looking at that, and, and so you you make the big team, and and you're up in Montreal now, and that adjustment. A lot of people talk about the organization; it's great, but you got to deal with the media. You got to deal with the French media and the English media, and all the bullshit that goes along with it. I absolutely love playing there. I love the fan base. The electricity in that building's unbelievable looking at that how was that the, the beginning i guess and your time there was fun for you. you had a you fucking had a successful time in montreal no question about it what were some of the drawbacks though if you're you're telling someone they're going to montreal what are you telling them say hey watch out for this
0: yeah you know there's so much turnover it was like players uh coaches staff um you know gms i i just had so my first couple years i had like three gms and three coaches and it seemed like every year you're getting a new fourth line and then you're trading a couple guys here and there and not to say that that's a bad thing but it was like really hard for me to come from college where you're just like you're a family right like you can't trade a guy in college like this is our team this is set in stone and you know you'll block a shot for the guy next to you and he'll block it for you and then you get to the pros and you're like, well, you know, that guy might eat a puck and then I could get a couple more minutes every now and then. <laughs> and that, that for me was the biggest adjustment. And that's not geared towards Montreal. I think maybe a little bit of like the turnover was with the, you know, you get to know a coach and then the next year he gets fired. And, and uh, you know, it just, I think when I look back on my time in Montreal, I think if you handle the negatives and kind of turn them into a positive, you're going to be better off in your career for it. I mean, you always have someone holding you accountable. You play bad at that game. Fans let you have it. Media lets you have it. You go back to your house at night. You just turn on any channel and they're talking about you. <laughs> and, and so many people view it as a negative negative. And, and they're listen, it, it's easy to do. So there are times when you're sitting there like, geez, can you just lay off me? And it's like, at the end of the day though, like if you handle that the right way, if, if you say, you know, I, I got to have a good game tomorrow. I, no matter what, I, I I got to do what's right to have a good game tomorrow. And I found myself in that position a lot. Maybe my wife wasn't too uh, happy with how pleasant I was when I was, you know, getting some of the heat because I was just so dialed in. Like, you know, I, I could get traded if I go a couple more games here without scoring a goal or, or they're really going to come down on me. But I seem to always have found a way to dig myself out of that by, you know, really bearing down and making sure that, you know, I, I, had that good game or I scored that big goal up, up until my last year where I had, um, it was a really tough year for, for our team, for our organization, for everybody. And and I, I was really proud of everything that I accomplished there in terms of that, except for my last year, it got away from me, but I, you know, I watched last night that documentary about, uh, Patrick Waugh and Claude Lemieux and, and it was no different from him. I, I felt like I, he was talking to me through the TV screen about, you know, what happened. And and it seems like a lot of people, most players that have been there for a long time kind of go through that. And, and at the end of the day, you can be a better player because of it. If you just, you know, tackle it and handle it the right way.
1: But that's the pressure that you talk about playing in Montreal. A lot, a lot of people say, Oh, what pressure? You know, the pressure. Well, the pressure of being held accountable at every turn and that pressure, it, how you deal with it, and looking at the way you dealt with it, come on, six times scored 30 goals. I mean, who does that there in this day and age? So you certainly, looking back on it, dealt with it good. And I look at when you talk about being naive to what pro hockey was at the beginning, can't help but blame you. I was naive, I know, when I started. But when you talk about the tumultuous start when, you know, Bob Ganey, then Gauthier, and then Bergevin, uh, this coach, that coach. It, it, that is not a great way to start. It's, you need that stability and certainly battling through that and then doing what you did as far as scoring goals. Man, that's awesome. Yeah, and, and you did prove it. And I think fans always wanted more because you're a big guy. Everybody thought you should be more physical, this and that. That is not your your, your game. Is You're that power forward, drive that puck, drive the net, get that quick shot away, all those things. I think people weren't at times happy with that. They thought there should have been more there. When you weren't scoring, well, do some, they wanted you to do something else. And, and I think that was unfair. There were even times I thought that way, Max. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was, looking back, unfair. In that sense, because that wasn't your game. That isn't your game. And you certainly stepped up to the plate when called upon And Every scorer goes through that shit. They go through their difficult times where they're slumping. But a lot of them don't have to deal with what you have to deal with in Montreal when, when it comes to that.
0: Yeah, I always thought that was so funny. It's like people think I'm so much bigger than I am. I'm I'm six yeah. one. <laughs> Everyone thinks I'm like six six. I should be bashing guys' heads through the glass. I'm like, no, like you go try and hit ten people and then try and you know skate wide around. It's just impossible to play that way, especially eighty two games, yeah. especially fifteen years, especially you know maintain that and stay injury free. It's funny because uh, Pete DeBoer, probably the best coach I had to date in terms of like getting the best out of me and he's like I always notice like I look at the score sheet when you have a bad first period or bad first couple of shifts and you have like five six hits like we don't we don't need you just running around like an idiot like your job is to score goals and create offense and I'm like oh my god it's so relieving to hear like <laughs> I just that's so ingrained to in me that it's like okay if you're not scoring you got to make a name for yourself go run someone and I, listen there is a time and place for that especially in the playoffs but it's like don't run yourself out of position when your job is to create offense. I mean, it's like I said, there's so it's so hard to do all that at once. And at the end of the day, I'm scored. to. I'm paid to score goals and create offense. Yeah. I'm, I'm not getting any more money. I'm not, you know, uh, I'm not going to go into uh, free agency and they're going to be like, well, you had this many hits. I mean, I get it. It is a nice little bonus and icing on the cake to to. To play physical, and there are times where I should add it more, and sometimes where I should scale it back. But I look back at my days, just like you, in, in Montreal, and it was just like constantly, like, "Oh, why aren't yep. you just crushing everyone?" and this and that. And, hey, I stay true to myself, and I made a nice little career out of uh, out of what I do best. And hey, no player is perfect. You can find something on every player in the league that they can do better. Yep. And, and if if it's at times me being a little bit more physical. Yeah, definitely. But there are times where I where I am very physical, and and you know, like I said, Pete DeBoer didn't think that was the best for me. How was DeBoer as a coach? He's very—he's a very good coach. He's uh, systematically. I, I, There's—I don't think there's anyone in the league like him. Yeah, I mean, you knew exactly where to be at all areas of the ice. Um, our D-zone structure was flawless. Everyone would just the second he came in. You just there was no confusion. You knew exactly where to be at all times, and that's why. You know, minus last year, he gets you right there. He gives you an opportunity to win it all uh, because of that structure. So, Maxi, um, yeah, the Montreal time.
1: And we've got to talk about this. And it, we look at uh, Bergevin comes in and, um, you know, he has a new GM. Never, you know, yeah, he was in Chicago. He's a scout, advanced scout, assistant GM. Did, held all them jobs and learned, kind of learned the ropes. And then he gets an opportunity in Montreal, comes in. Um, what was it like when he came in the first time around? Boy, I got this feeling um, with Berg. He obviously a, 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 an emotional guy, but a guy that um, he really wanted to protect the players that were there. I often felt that he wanted to keep you guys from so much from having to live up to the tradition and the past of that organization. This is the feeling I got. He didn't want any of the older guys, and it's not that I had to be there or Guy Lafleur had to be there or this one had to be there, but that was something that organization always prided themselves on. When I was coming up there, I saw Dickie Moore, Jean Beliveau, all of them. Rocket Rashad, Henry Rashad, they'd always come in the room. And talk to the guys, and it, it was awesome. It was awesome. That that went away, and I always got the feeling that Bergman was so, you know, worried about players having to live up to that that he kind of tried to protect his team. Any
0: truth to that? I've never I've never thought of it that way. I think that makes sense. He's uh, when Bergs first came in, I think it was his passion that everyone was kind of drawn towards. Like uh, he was a fiery guy um would get like you said really emotional you've seen him cry a bunch of times you see him fired up a bunch of times um I didn't know anything other than what my time was there because I think before he came I was too young to even really have a relationship with any of the ex-players um other than yourself and and uh even if he did feel that way it it didn't stop me I I've always had a really good relationship with all the alumni I mean uh I remember a couple of times Guy Lafleur came out publicly about me, but then after that, I mean, uh, up till the end, him and I, I would text him often. Uh, he was like uh, a guy that I talked to a lot about stuff, uh, golf tournaments. I started living there in the summer, started to get know, get to know you guys a little bit more. I uh, spent some time with Serge Savard. I, if he felt that way, it didn't stop me at all from, from having relationships with you guys. And I learned, just so much from, uh, I guess, the experiences that the that the alumni had in the past, and I know it was a uh, different league. I know, I'll, you know, it's a different sport now. It's a lot more, I guess, uh, individual, and guys are getting paid more. So you know, you're gonna have your your own routines, your personal trainers, your chefs, this and that. But at the end of the day, you look at the teams that win, and you look when they pick up the cup. Uh, they have that camaraderie that all your teams had back in Montreal, and, and that was the number one thing that I learned. You guys are, are brothers for life, and uh, that's the big reason why I'm chasing this ultimate goal is because I want to have that special feeling and that bond for life.
2: I'm just, I, I, you know, the only question I had going back, I guess, not to go back, but like that pressure in Montreal, like when you became a captain, like did that amplify that too i mean was there was it like how did that feel like right away or like did you feel like the pressure of the media was like even amplified more did you kind of were there times where you're like shit this sucks being the captain not that you're gonna say that but you know what i mean yeah. like did that just kind of make it worse big
1: responsibility
2: <laughs> you know right? if people
0: yeah i've heard people mention that to me and like oh you couldn't deal with being captain and and no i've, I've always been a person that like thrived and like i said what we talked about being in the past that thrives under like being held accountable. And, and, you know, I was always often my best version of myself when my dad was hard on me. So I, no, no, I, when I was a captain, I just took it so serious. I took it so seriously. I, not to say that I didn't before, but I was just on a whole nother level of, I have to do this the right way. I have to make sure that I'm ready for tomorrow because I've had a couple bad games and they'll really come down on me. I, I just amplified everything to a whole nother level. And whether that, you know, away from the rink, um, you know that could have shown to people around me that I was, you know, under that scrutiny, and and maybe I was a little bit on edge, a little bit. But when it came to being on the ice, I just uh, I I would do whatever it take, uh, whatever it took to uh, kind of get the best out of myself in that situation. And the one thing that I'm really proud of is I always stood in front of those cameras and always held myself accountable, whether it's deserved or not. And and oftentimes I'd come home and my wife would be like why are you just throwing yourself under the bus? And I'm like, you know what? You're right. I, I got to stop doing that. But at the same time, I'm talking for 30 minutes, pregame skate, I'm talking 30 minutes post game skate and you're catching, you know, the five seconds where I've got asked for the (laughs) third time, why you haven't scored three or four games. And, and I see why it would come off this way. And I see why fans could see why it was a bit on edge, but what about the other, you know, 57 minutes where I was talking about how I believed in this team and, and we have confidence in this room. And and that's just the way it's going to go. And it's going to go that way as long as there's, you know, 30 media members in the locker room after every skate. And and that'll never change. But at the end of the day, I'm I'm really proud with how I handled that. And no one can ever take that away from me.
1: Max, and you should be. And uh, I, I think maybe some of the things you hear are, uh, and I uh, look back at your time, and when I tell you the, the goals you scored and what you did is even... More impressive now, and I'm adamant about it because when I look back and not to throw Dave dayane under the bus, he's a great low player, but you have never really had a bona fide number one center riceman to do that with. When you get the puck consistently from a center riceman who who knows how to deliver that thing and has a, a good rapport with you, you never had that in Montreal. So what you did, it's even more impressive now. As far as the captaincy thing, when I look at it, explained this way is that I think some people thought that if you didn't have the burden of that, they looked at it like it was a burden to you, that you having to do all that other stuff 30 minutes before the game, after the game, every fucking nut asking you every question nine times over, that if you didn't have to deal with that, maybe, just maybe, there would have been a little less for you, and you would have produced more, not having to worry about that stuff. I think that's really the was a major sentiment for a lot of people that really understood the game. But that being said, when it came time, believe me, you know, talking to people in the media, talking to other hockey people, it was really down to Max Pacioretty or PK Subban, and so many people. Just there's no way they wanted P.K. And there was a lot of people that want him, a lot of people that didn't. I get it. And it ends up going to you. And we know what happened. P.K. gets traded. Weber comes. Did you ever feel any pressure when Weber came to say, here you go, Shea. You're the captain now. I'm going to step aside and let you handle this.
0: Not one bit of pressure at all. And I'll just say this. I I just looked it up right now. My first year captain, <laughs> I scored 35 goals. Like, what would I bet? 37 if I didn't have more pressure. Like, that's four off my career high. Like, that. for me, yeah. when people would say that, I would say I, quite the opposite. I thought that was my best year. And And the one thing that I do, and I'm a little bit like you in this sense, Knuckles, is I'm a really loyal person. And people tend yeah. to forget that the the coach that kind of developed me and brought me into the NHL and, and made me the man and the person that I was. And the guy that I became captain under, uh, Michelle Terrian got fired that year and he got fired when I think we're in first place or close to first place in the division or the, or the conference. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I would say, I would argue that when people talk about, um, uh, not pressure, but you know, having a little bit of a burden, I, I, I just had such a great relationship with, uh, with Michelle Terry. And he was, uh, and, and a guy that I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I still talk to him. I mean, I, when I yeah. go to Montreal, I've seen him often and, and he was like, he was so good for me. And and when the change happened, being the captain of the team, obviously I wasn't involved in that. And, and, uh, I, I, I never really have talked about this to people, but it was a bit of a, a gut punch. Like uh it's like your dad he, he reminded me so much of my dad. He was so hard on me, but in such a good way. And and it's not to say that it didn't like Claude Julian, but I think just you're a human and, and if you're a loyal guy like me, you're gonna feel differently yeah. about uh showing up to the rank than the guy that kind of brought you brought you up in that situation. So I could argue that if people saw those negatives. And I would argue that I thought a lot of that was driven through my loyalty to, to Michelle Therian. Um I still don't think there's a lot of that to show. But, uh, yeah, I, he's a guy that... I,
1: why I, does he get fired then, Maxie? Wait, and again, why does he get fired? Does a, a, a group of guys not liking him, he's too hot on some guys, and they go in to see Bergevin and say, hey, enough of this guy.
0: It, it could have been. And, and the thing about Montreal is, and that I really liked is uh, players weren't involved in those decisions. And uh, that's not the case from what you hear around the NHL. Sometimes you see players getting involved and, and if you're asking a player, they're going to, they're going to say something for their personal self, whether they like it or not, re- whether they're admitting it or not, you know, like, Oh, I don't like this yeah. guy because I play, you know, a minute less a game than, than if I played a, played for that guy that's just the way we are. Like we worry, we worry about ourselves. We talked about that in the beginning of the podcast, but um, in Montreal, they truly didn't, at least to myself, they didn't have me involved in any of those decisions as the captain of the team. And, and I feel in hindsight, I feel that's the better way to do it because if you have skin in the game, when it comes to a coach or a GM or, or any of that, or a power assistant coach or power play, or should we trade for this guy? Should we trade for that guy? you're always going to be you're always going to kind of defer to what you mentioned to try and make yourself look good. So, um, you know, I was a big Michelle Terrian fan. I still am. He made me a big reason why I'm where I'm at today. And I definitely took it uh, a little bit. personally. I'm, I'm
1: so happy to hear that. Yeah. I, I really am because not a lot of people would say that. That's I, I think that's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, you move on from Michelle. Claude Julian comes in and and and, you know, we talked about again, I feel like you never had that bona fide number one center. What was it like, I guess, you know, them last few years there and everything leading up to that trade? So Julian's there, he comes in, he got, you know, we know the defensive system, he likes to play, and uh, he he's a stickler for that. How, how did how that affect you with Michelle gone, now Claude Julian there? What's going on with you?
0: Oof, I, you know, I don't quite remember every detail about all the feelings I was having, but I do know that when things started to slide, I was uh, kind of upset about some of the decisions. Um, uh, One thing was uh, Davey Derrida used to always, we used to always talk about it. And we said, we said the day that Andre Markov left the haves is the day that they'll start to slide. Um, Turns out Davey was spot on because I think Andre Markov, I know Andre Markov till this day is the smartest player I've ever played with. I mean, I could credit six goals easily a year where he would just find me on the, on the back uh, dot for a one-timer side. And, and I know he was Marky was getting old and Marky's skating wasn't the same, but Marky was a true pro in an old school sense where, you know, if you're a young guy and and you weren't in the gym before him, he's going to let you know. And, uh, (laughs) that old Russian mentality was just <laughs> off the ice on the ice was that kind of accountability as an organization that I don't think that they really appreciated. Um, so we really miss Marky that year. We really miss Radzu that year. Radulov yeah. one I oh. had so much success with him. Um, uh, yeah, we should have, I thought we should have kept him. He was just a player that I truly enjoyed playing with. We really liked playing together. And then, uh, I think there was a lot of injuries. Everything just started to spiral. And, uh, kind of got out of control and and uh, at one point you know me and Berge had talked maybe we should uh talk about resigning early and kind of or talk about it at least and and then uh, our relationship kind of went uh, south from there and I thought it was inevitable uh, about uh you know my time there was going to be up at the deadline I didn't get traded and then like two games after that I ended up uh, spraining my MCL It's just the way things work, right? When you're always so down. I remember that. Yeah, you're always kind of thinking, where am I going? What's going to happen? Then you get injured. And yeah, the rest was history. I don't think uh, after that season, I ever really went. I don't think I ever went back to the rink after that. I'd be around Montreal kind of just waiting for my time to expire. Trade took a lot longer than, uh, than we anticipated, but uh, I think a lot of it was going to be focused on signing an extension and, and then it did happen. And, you know, no hard feelings. I was, I was ready to move on.
1: Well, if we can go back because I, and you brought it up um, uh, about uh, like with Bergie
0: and I I got
1: to get to this because we, you know, I had you on my show in Montreal at the time and we talked and, you said you never asked to be traded. And there's some, there need, should be some clarity, I think, because a lot of people still in Montreal think, oh, you asked to be traded because th- you didn't get that center Iceman. Now I look back and I, I look at Bergie making the trade, Sergei Shepherd drew in. Drew in, come in, they tried him at center. That wasn't fucking working. It ain't working. It will never work. So he comes in, and that's the center that he was kind of giving you to work with. Uh, The word was that Max asked to be traded because he wanted a better center Iceman to play with. And I don't blame you. After four 60 plus point seasons, you would have think he might have done that for you. Even after two of them. And it never happened. Now, did you ever ask to be traded?
0: No, not officially. I think what happened and and there is a lot of confusion. I think a lot of it's based on the fact that I switched agents during that time, but we had spoken about uh potentially doing an extension. And this is, you know, what I was I was told, so it wasn't, you know, one-on-one speaking, but we thought yeah. maybe uh we could work on doing an extension and and then things started to go south and it was like, okay, who was we- the
1: agent at the time? You went from
0: I can't answer Oh, I went from, yeah, Pat Brisson to Alan Walsh.
1: But before that, you were with someone else. You went to Pat Brisson, who was good friends with Bergie. Yeah. Like their best buddies. And he's your agent now. Yeah. Did you ever get into the contract talks?
0: No, no. no, uh, Oh, so you didn't? No, not that I, if it did, it wasn't very far. And, And I kept telling them that I wanted to resign. And it was like, uh, and I was under the impression, once again, when everything's through agents, you don't know what's exactly completely clear or not. But I was under the impression early in the year that they would want to resign me. And then uh, when they were saying they weren't, it's like, okay, if you're not going to resign me, you know what I, you know what I am. I'm the captain of the team. I've been here for this amount of time. And you were talking about resigning me. Like, what would you be worried about here? And and we kind of just both, I think they realized my time was up. I realized my time was up. And then it just becomes a. Okay, where am I gonna go? Because I don't have trade protection, right? So you have to do whatever you can to go to the best fit possible. And it was a contract year. So listen, yeah. am I just gonna let them, you know, put me on the last place team and say, All right, pack your bag, see you later. You know, you'll probably have 30 points this year on a last place team, and <laughs> and then you get absolutely screwed. So, no, you gotta go into defense mode, and this is the business side. And, you know, I see both sides of it, but it's like, okay, we got to try and go to this team. We got to try and block that team. You have no trade protection. Would this team want to sign you? And and that's where all the confusion of, you know, do you want to get traded? Well, no, I want to sign a deal, but you're most likely going to trade me. So I got to try and, you know, make sure that it ends up in a good situation. And and uh, so you had no say in
1: the, in the Vegas thing, really? No,
0: I mean, no, no, I I had, ultimately, it was a, I signed an extension upon it, right, so, and that was good for Montreal as well, I think, I think, I could be wrong here, but I think, I know that they want to trade me somewhere where I would sign an extension so that they would get more back, I don't know if that was, can't even remember if that was completely talked about or not, but at the end of the day, that's, you know, how both teams kind of get the most out of the player and the deal, and that kind of blocks me from, from without any trade protection going to, you know, a bottom feeder team in the league where yeah. I would. Well, both teams did. did LA it was, try
2: to trade for you too? Who? Didn't, LA? Yeah, that, LA yeah tra-
0: tra- exactly. That was based upon a uh, an extension that we couldn't come to an agreement on. And then we had to kind of, and that was, I think that might've been at the draft or something. And so, uh, oh, yeah. and, and so when the, that happened. The 2018
1: entry draft. That was, Yeah. Yep.
0: So when that happens, you're kind of sitting there like, okay, like, how how am I going to go? Everyone in the world knows this. It was all over the media. Like, how am I going to go back in the locker room? I'm for sure not going to have the see anymore, right? Like, I'm going to get just absolutely destroyed. I Like, you just cannot be in the locker room, I feel, in Montreal after something like that. And so then you're really trying to push to, to make something happen. But at the end of the day, you're so hopeless because you're so helpless because you there's nothing you can do, right? Like, someone has to want you and, and the money has to add up and work. And and I'm thankful for how it all played out. You know, Montreal got a a great return. Uh, I yeah, feel like, did. yeah, I feel like my time in, in Montreal was a success. My time in Vegas was a success, and uh, I think Montreal is obviously happy with the trade as well.
2: Speaking of Vegas, like, what were your initial thoughts right away? I mean, how that that had to be? Were you relieved and also kind of like, where? I mean, what's it like to play in Vegas? It
0: was, yeah, I was at the point I'm like, okay, I have to sign this deal. There's a good deal for myself my family. There's no state tax or, you know, a team that's coming off (laughs) going to the Stanley cup final. And I'm like, Oh man, maybe I won't bring the family. Like what's like living in Vegas. Like, and then I came out here (laughs) and I'm like, Oh, we don't ever go to the strip. It's a really nice place to live. The suburbs are great. The schools are great. So right away I was, I was just so happy that it was completely different than anyone could ever imagine. And, uh, yeah I mean I knew that the team was going to be good, but also you know the first their first year was you know it was obviously the best story ever but it, it was an anomaly right so they wanted to try and bring in some guys to to help that situation and and they signed a couple guys, traded for a few and and uh you know I had a great four years here last year as a team we underachieved big time and uh uh I learned a lot while I played here. Maxie,
1: I gotta go back before we go to uh, vegas and and let's go but we, I didn't even touch on this, and I remember Jerry and I uh met you and went for dinner one night, and it was um before you got the chara hit, you remember yeah. oh yeah, right we went for dinner, yeah, and um we were talking and 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 you scored that goal and remember your rabbit yeah. punch Chara yeah. and he was pissed he was yeah. pissed. And we talked that night and you said, you know, we talked about, well, if if it happens, what should I do? And I said, listen, first of all, I wouldn't fight him, but I keep my stick up. And if you have to fight him, hang on fucking tight. Yeah. Right. And then sure enough, that night comes and uh, I'll never um, forget it. And I'm sure you won't either. But like, Christ, what was that like? you know, here you are and fucking Boston, Montreal, they hate each other. I get it. You know, and then you're getting that puck in the neutral zone you're coming with speed. And boy, you know, usually defensemen back off a little bit and respect that speed, but boy, he, he said, I'm coming. I'm just fucking, this is all or nothing. And man, yeah. the, the hit you took and then to lay there on the, what was going through your mind? And what were you thinking at the time? Um, that happened when you were laying I'm, there on the ice,
0: yeah I mean as both you guys know that that the league and the sport was just a it was a different time then like we I think the game before that we had a goalie fight and like three line bros, and so once again you know me being naive is like okay, I think I fought like I forget McQuaid or something someone they're coming after me but like I said, it was a couple line brawls. They were a much tougher team than us. And I just yeah. figured, you know, like I was so, I was really so dumb. I was like, all right, if I get my head bashed in, I get it bashed in. But I mean, if you look at the time and the clock on uh, on that play uh, where, you know, he pushes my head into the into the glass, like it's just a nothing play. It's It's me being young and stupid. Like, oh, let me try and win this race at the end of a period that has no relevance on the game at all. And, uh, you know, obviously he throws my head into the turnbuckle and and I don't remember the rest. I remember waking up at the hospital, but uh, really you live and you learn, right? It's like, okay, uh, yeah. hockey's not like that anymore, but it's like, okay, this is useless play. I know that that's Shara over there on the right point. No, I'm not going to go for this puck, but, but <laughs> yeah. you know, that's, that's probably one of those cases where you guys have probably been there before where it's like, Coach is like, oh, you're bailing out on this puck. And it's like, no, yeah. Well, shut up. Have, have, well, yeah. <laughs> Why don't you have Chara throw your head <laughs> into the friggin' glass like that? Like, you, you just learn to be smart. And, and I definitely wasn't. I was reckless with my body when I was, you know, in junior in college. Yeah. And, and, you know, I would take a lot of hits, but there's just some hits you don't have to take. And uh, I learned quickly that that was j- a hit that I didn't have to take.
1: You evolved and you matured. It's like, come on! I and I, I watched it. I watched it. You know, you were doing the thing with the fucking stick yeah. after you scored and all that, right? And yeah. that's young and stupid. And you know, fuck! I, I know. I know. And yeah. and you changed that though. Yeah. You didn't. You changed that to your credit. And it's it's about maturing in the game. And you don't know. You are naive in a lot of ways. People don't. People don't know how difficult it is for one. And, and you got to find your way and you're finding your way in front of fucking 20,000 people every night. It's not the easiest thing.
0: Right. And, Uh, and in today's world, you just want to, you know, cancel these kids off of one thing that they do. But like you said, we, you make a mistake here and there, you learn. I'm a completely different person than I was when I was, you know, when I pushed Chara, I didn't even know it was him. Like I I was just so fired up for a goal. And, and at the end of the day it was social media and media I remember there was like articles like, Oh, how could he do that? Or something like, it was the worst thing in the world. I'm like, what? Pushing him after there's like yeah. five line brawls the game before, like, yeah, it was stupid. Like, yeah. I, it's a stupid, but like you said, I wouldn't do that now. And, and that's the world we live in. It's like people do change. And, and what I know now at 33 years old is, I think I was 20 years old or 21 years old when that happened. Like, you yeah. guys know it's, you're a completely different person at this uh stage of your life.
2: How did you, uh, did that take a while to like kind of let go? Did you, when you kind of got back playing after that, were you like hesitant a little bit? I mean, what did that do mentally to you?
0: <laughs> I mean, we talk about being dumb and naive. That was probably the <laughs> dumbest and most naive I, I ever was. I was like, Are you kidding me? I'm going to come back and be better. Like, that was a great goal. That was a great shot. What do you guys mean? <laughs> what do you mean my <laughs> career is going to be different? And, and the one thing though, is I always put in the work. Like that was the end of the season. Um, I, That was the end of my season. I didn't play in the playoffs. We ended up losing, I think the Boston game seven and I would have come back in the next series in hindsight, like probably thank God that we lost because I, I probably wasn't ready to come back and I probably would have had a little bit of uh hesitation in my game, but I had that whole summer and I work like a dog. Like I still have the, before and after pictures from that summer and people are like oh my god like what did you do it I'm like I just I worked, like I all day all day I didn't have you know I didn't have kids then I just wake up go to the gym skate go back to the gym I was just it was I was an animal and but still in my mind I was like are you kidding me I'm gonna score 30 every year for the rest of my career and and like I keep saying like it's so dumb and naive of me but it's also like why I why I'm Am where I'm at right now, and and I look at young kids' careers, and they're probably reading all this stuff, and great skilled players, more skilled than I've ever been, and 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 they never make it, and I wonder how much of that is them being like doubting themselves, and and reading how, you know, oh after this mistake you're never gonna make it, and and kind of having that negative mindset, and and I kind of look at dumb and naive as a as a positive uh, for why I've made it, and and why a lot of kids probably do make it now.
1: Well, you were like a racehorse that just you, you, you race, you eat, you shit, yeah. go to sleep, get up <laughs> and do it again. And, and <laughs> you, you know, um, and I think, and, and you're right about that naivete. Um, and I think about it, and here you are, 33 years old now. And I remember you come in, you're just a kid. Time fucking flies. And I say that because I remember Larry Robinson when I was a kid, I was like 21. And it was after practice one day and I, and I was laughing, joking in the locker room and now Larry's 28 and I'm looking at him like he's a fucking old man. Yeah. That's, this is the craziness of it. This guy's old. He's been around a yeah. while. And, and I'm sitting there laughing and joke. And he looks at me, he says, uh, he said, Hey knuckles. And I said, what? He says, you're having fun, aren't you? And I said, yeah, I'm, it's a blast. I mean, I can't believe I'm here. And he says, well, enjoy it because it's going to go like that. And yeah. I'm like, you know, Okay, but you don't want to hear that when you're fucking 20. Yeah. But now, where you are at 33, did it go like that?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, like... I mean, it's not over yet, but, I
1: mean, you are. You're on the other side of it.
0: I know. You just have no time to... Like, I I feel guilty if I ever worry about anything. Like, I get traded, and it's like, oh, now I got to worry about a house and schools for the kids and youth hockey. And then I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, you don't t- spend any time worrying You're just wasting time of like, like you said, this, like we only have so much of this time. I just want to enjoy every second of it. So, I mean, I I was in that mindset for maybe a couple hours and then I snapped out of it because it's like, yeah, it goes by so quickly. And, and I'm, I'm fortunate. Like I, I want to see other places. I want to play for, for different teams. And, and as long as you're contending, right. And you want to be one of yeah. the teams that can, that could hopefully, well, win. you're going somewhere. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're
1: not going to the fucking cracking baby. <laughs> you're going to <laughs> the canes. Yeah. I'm excited.
0: <laughs> I'm really excited. Yeah.
1: And, and then now, I mean, I always say this, I joke around with friends, you know, some guys have three girls or four girls and you have, it takes a man to make a man. You have four boys. I mean, yeah. it, it, you know, if you're ever gonna have a, a daughter for poor Katia, and you do, yeah. which is awesome, you got five kids now, and we just uh, got to say hi when you were in Montreal and see little um, uh, Max and Lorenzo um, playing hockey now, and we had talked about it. And this is crazy. We're talking about it, and you say, "What do you think? You think I move back east for the hockey when I'm retired?" Blah blah blah, and here you are getting traded to Carolina. Yeah. So, you will be back east now, so that would be great for the boys and your daughter, yeah, but great for you too, in the sense that you are going to a contender uh playing for Brindamore, you got one year left on your contract. This is a big year for you now um, are you you're gonna move down there, just say they sign you next year, or maybe they don't um would you be willing to pick up and go somewhere else or do you want to what's the deal with that i know you want to do yeah. well there and i know you will do well there what i'm saying is uh, what if they don't offer you that deal you want uh, would you go somewhere else yeah well the,
0: the problem is is i'm not dumb and naive anymore <laughs> <So> <laughs> i see I that's see not re- a problem <laughs> yeah it's not a problem i see the reality of yeah having 5 kids and and you know we're going to a rental home and And, uh, you know, when my name kind of got out there in the trade rumors, I'm like, okay, well, it would suck to go to a bottom feeder and they get traded at the deadline. That was kind of my biggest worry, especially with the kids and whatnot. So, no, I, you know, I'm open minded to anything being like versatile and, 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 you know, uh, having the kids be able to go different places and see different places for me is a blessing. That's the way I look at it. Um, I know I'm going into a really good situation. I'm going to a great team with a great coach, great management. I know that uh, we have a chance to win this year. And if I really like it, hopefully we can uh, stay there. And and if if not, I, I don't see that happening, with me not liking it. But, uh, you know, life goes on. And and that's the mentality I have now. And I've uh, created a, or extended my career to a point where I'm really happy with where I'm at. But I know that I have so much more. Uh, gas in the tank and I haven't looked that far ahead I've kind of just been worrying good. about right now and seeing where that's at and and I just keep hearing from people you know I think the true test is you know when you see how many people retire in the city that they played without any ties to it previously you kind of know you're going to a good place and and the amount of retired players that live in Carolina uh it says a lot about you know the team and the culture and the city and and the fans and uh yeah, I'm excited to be a part of that. That's What's awesome. the
2: ages of your kids?
0: I have eight down. So eight, uh, yeah. <laughs> are you
2: done? Are you yeah, done? I, I mean, I'm I don't want to don't get
0: you in trouble, but are you done? My, my wife's done. I would have 20 kids. So <laughs> once you're outnumbered, you're screwed anyways. But <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, they, at this point they, they play with amongst each other and, and that's, you know, I'm always there watching it, but I, I don't have to do all the, uh, kind of babysitting anymore because they just beat each other up. And, and I just, I'm the referee basically. Um,
1: I, I got to ask you uh, to go back. I know we got to the Carolina piece and you haven't got to get there yet, but uh, the um Vegas experience, awesome, obviously. How much did it suck to lose to the Habs? In the playoffs. Oh. Because I, you know, I, I, I'm thinking, honestly, I didn't give a fuck about the rest of the Vegas, but I'm thinking you because you played with the Habs. And and here right. you are. And they come in and they fucking, they they shock everybody by doing what they yeah. did. And, of course, Price played out his ass. Like, unbelievable. Yeah. And, and how much did that suck for you?
0: The worst part is everyone always wanted, like, through the whole thing, everyone always wanted to talk to me about it. It's like, yeah everyone's like oh they wouldn't have even made the playoffs if they weren't in that division I'm like okay guys relax and then it's like oh if if, uh Toronto didn't do this or that then they would have never and they just kept going with this and I'm like guys
1: didn't give the puck away (laughs) I'm
0: like guys like price is like goaltending matters and price is pretty good like like stop sending me this stuff people are texting me like there's no way they're gonna win this next round I'm like okay like relax and then we get there and I'm like (laughs) oh god like it it was you know everyone i i mean i had to turn off my phone during that playoff series and even when we got there people were like there's no chance they're gonna beat you guys and then after you know like the first game it's like oh we're gonna sweep these guys and thinking about like you know what you're gonna do with your time off to get ready for the finals and then you know they win a couple and it's like and then you know we we kind of find our game but then you know they get a, a that bounce uh at the end of the game in montreal and you're just like oh man do they start to believe over there and you know how playoffs are it's like yeah it's like a game of poker it's like do they believe over there or do they not and you can kind of see (laughs) them start to believe and you're just like oh man we got to buckle up like this team is like rallying right now they're they're you know they're they're tough to play against in front of their net their goaltender is playing hot right now and, and a couple of their guys are feeling it and then you start to worry and then at the end you're just like Oh God, how did I let that happen? And and the worst was we were stuck in the rink after the after we lost because of all like the whatever riots or whatever you want to call it, the celebrating. Yeah. Then we we're on the bus for like 30 minutes back to the back to the Ritz, which is like a two-minute drive, and we just see people like just chirping us all over. And you know, I saw people like lighting garbage cans on fire. And I just like at one point I think I shed a tear or two. I was like I cannot wow. believe this happened like I know, oh my it, god I was so upset one. yeah and so like I locked myself in the room that night and I just I didn't sleep a second for like a couple nights and then as you as we keep talking about life goes on come home to your family see the kids you yeah. know they still love you and you're just like you know I gave it my all that's the one thing I could say about that series is it's not easy to – I know it wasn't full of fans, but to get booed every time you touch the puck and to have yeah, people – uh that sucks. Yeah. That it, sucks. It, it, it's, Fuck,
1: they booed me every time I touch the puck, which yeah. is only once. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. It, um, it really wasn't easy, but I was proud of the effort I gave. And I, I, and and at the same time, you know, a lot of those guys – I wasn't happy that they beat us, but I was happy that they got a shot at it.
1: How about Flower, though? Like, like he, he, they, they really – Kind of fucking screwed him over, didn't he? Marc Andre Flurry. I mean, listen, he made a mistake. It was a big mistake, but holy shit. Like, why don't you get the bounce back? The kid could bounce back. Did you agree with that move? Looking back, do you think it should have come back with him?
0: You know, I don't, I I honestly, I don't remember what I felt in the moment. And so I can't, in hindsight, I could say, yeah, he should have played. But in the moment, I, I genuinely, don't remember because like i said i was so caught up in in all that stuff but i will say that if anyone in the world can overcome something like that it's flower he him. is like yeah the ultimate yeah. competitor yeah. I mean the guy can block out anything yeah like you like you you never play with a goaltender that you know you go bar down on him in practice and he like is laughing and he just is chirping you like i'm gonna get you next time so if there's any guy in the world that could could bounce back from, you know, something like that, it, it'd be flower. No,
1: nah, that was tough. The way they dealt with that one, but that's the, that's the game, right? That's the sport, the business side, everything. Um, that was tough to watch, but, um, uh, what the hell else? I got, I got a couple of things. Chris? Uh, oh, fuck man. off, fuck Sorry, off! We Max. don't want you on.
2: No, Max, this no. is yeah. Get out of <laughs> here, is, will you? This is, the screw the whole thing up. this is the painful part. This is the painful part. Max, this is Barry. Max, Barry, Barry. The, uh,
1: this is Barry. We, we love Barry, and Barry uh, is, is awesome. So he he always loves to come on and ask a few. because Tim and I don't want to say like. Yeah, look, he's
2: gonna ask the question. Like, what like type some, of curve? Someone's do gonna he, ask you at a bar when you're yeah. like, like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> what lie do you use and what yeah. curve is it,
1: you know? <laughs> What's it like um, to play against Patrick Kane? <laughs> and Max, um, Barry's son, Dylan, played for the Pens a bit. And, okay. uh Dylan Reese. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know Dylan. Yeah. T- Team USC played with the USA yeah. a little bit, too. So, anyway. So, Listen. Barry, fire away, back. Well,
3: Max, you were refreshingly honest. Seriously, it's yeah. been great listening to you. been awesome. And, and I, you, when you went to Vegas what was it like so starkly different in pressure than it was in Montreal? I mean, did it, did it feel like almost a total relief? I mean, I was wondering, cause it's her first, you know, right at the beginning and they're, and you know if you get pressure there.
1: No one knows who the fuck you are.
0: Yeah. It's, this is going to sound my answer to this. And I've been thinking about it a lot lately and I, and I, there are good sides to everything. So when I first got there, I was almost like, it was kind of weird that there was no accountability and I'm not talking about like within the team. I'm talking about like, like everywhere, you just couldn't like, you couldn't feel pressure coming off of anyone else from the coach from the management. Like, I mean, I would play, I had an awful game and I come in and everyone's saying hi to me and I'm like, okay, this is a little (laughs) weird. Like normally like we walk by each other and like stare at the carpet and then at the same time, like I, if, even if you wanted to find out what the media was saying about you, I don't even know how you would even go about that because it's like, I don't even know the, where the media would be on Twitter. I don't even know what to search or anything like that. So <laughs> I, there was a relief when I got there, but then I found myself being like, okay, I got to kind of like reel this thing in and, and, and hold myself to a higher standard. and hold Kick myself your own more. ass. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which I had always done my whole life. But maybe I got away from that a little bit when I had everybody else kind of holding me accountable. So, in fact, I even mentioned that at the end of the year. I'm like, and, and I didn't say it specifically, but I'm like, I, I'm not saying I, I wanted to, this to be like playing back in Montreal, but I even told her, I'm like, we gotta, you know, no one's really holding us accountable. If We have a bad year like this, like the city would be like, be half on fire in Montreal. And here we are, we're showing up to the rink and it's 80 degrees and it's sunny and we're getting our car wash and getting our organic food and our, go play golf. Yeah. Go play. Play golf. And I was kind of (laughs) like, no, we got to kind of police this thing a little bit better amongst each other because like, I don't want to say it's a country club, but uh, like you have no one from the outside holding you accountable. So I never thought in a million years that I'd be feeling this way. But, but at the end of the day, I kind of look at, okay, what can I have done better this year? And and that was almost like, I'm not saying I'm going to, you know, be like uh, a journalist. That's going to go rip a player. But at the same time, a lot of these guys haven't played somewhere else. So they don't know really what it's like. And, and I felt myself personally, uh, it always gets the best out of you when you have either a coach or somebody or my parents, uh, not with hockey, but with other stuff, like when they're demanding and hold you accountable and, and I found myself almost missing that a tiny bit when things went wrong this year. And I know it sounds crazy and yeah, no, <laughs> people I, might I jump know what on me. Saying. Yeah. So I, I, I know what you're, yeah. I and know it's what just a part of the evolution sure. of, uh, as Chris mentioned before, of like being a different person and growing up and, and, uh, yeah, I find myself, you know, kind of wanting that accountability now, but when I first got traded, definitely not. I, I, I had to kind of, take a step back and, and reel myself in when it came to that.
3: Well, I just have a couple more questions and I promise that'll be it. You know, I have yeah, to ask. Only my have to get 40 with, 40 it, get more with it. Come on. Fuck, get me. with it. <laughs> <laughs> do you, I don't, I don't, I don't know what kind of relationship you have with your parents or anything, but you know, I hear hockey players so much call their fathers after every game and you're, would you say 34 years old now?
0: Yeah. Turning 34. Do you, yeah. do
3: you call anybody after every game? Now that you have a nope. wife and four kids or five kids,
0: I <laughs> not call specifically, but my parents watch every game, and I know how hard it is for them to watch because they always want you know the best for me. But uh, at the end of the day, like um, you know, Crystal's my my dad. My parents like yeah. Uh, I just know how much my dad especially went through uh, uh, to get me to where I'm at. Yeah. So like every time he mentions hockey, I know he gets pretty emotional about it because. You know, one season we mentioned the youth hockey in Connecticut. I mean, I was playing with, I had to play with 89s because I was a back half birthday and it wasn't a great year. He would drive me to Marlboro for practice uh, twice a week. That's two and a half hours each way. Crazy. Twice wow. a week. And and if I, I, now that I have kids of my own, I just couldn't even imagine doing that. So
1: I. Well, no, dude, you're just fucking no check in, <laughs> yeah. no, right. see- in Montreal and Toronto. I saw Max Montreal, right? <laughs> yeah. No, really. I. I- you know, Max, is in town. We, we end up, yeah. I go and see the little buggers play, right? Yeah. Um, did I see little Max play? Or you was saw it Max. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Max, Max. right? Yeah. So, you know, Max, get him in a tournament so they can play. The weekend before, he's in Toronto. Yeah. And it's great to have the means to do that. But, you know, I'm watching little Max. And you figure, eight-year-old kid, he just turned eight. I'm watching him out on the ice. And, and you know, a lot of kids, they chase the fucking puck. They chase, just go after the puck. Well, the defenseman on the other team got the puck and he goes behind the net, and little Max is going after him, and the kid goes behind the net. He don't most kids chase behind the net. He came across in front, angled the fucking guy off, just like a you know, like a hockey sense. When you have hockey sense, you do those things. I was shocked, not not shocked, but just surprised for a young kid to do that. So, he certainly got the genes, and um, yeah, it was awesome to see. uh, You, it, fuck crazy, see it. (laughs) <laughs> All of a sudden, you're a, you're a dad,
2: five kids, and...
1: You're 33. Was, That's you're funny, though. That, That's yeah. funny what
2: he said, though, because I, my dad and my parents did everything. You know, they built the rinks in the yard. They drove me everywhere. And I'm, like, trying to pay the mailman to take my kid to the practice so I could golf, <laughs> so I could golf another nine holes, you know. But it's amazing. No, it's awesome.
0: Well, my dad never played hockey, but I I think yeah. he's – a. I honestly think he's the smartest hockey person I know. Like, he, the things he sees in a game, and, and it's just because he knows my game, right? Like, so – yeah. Whenever I need advice or something, even when I need advice on the kids, like what did you see about Enzo or what did you see about Max? It's like we, me, and my wife are always asking him because you know he's he 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 went through that whole thing with me, so it's a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, stuff. my
3: next my next to the last question. This is the one they probably hate. If you could steal one skill from another player in the NHL today, what skill would that be? You could just. Uh if you look McDavid around, you speed.
0: Yeah. McDavid speed hands go. down. I mean, it, if anyone else is answering differently is, yeah, is well, lying a to you. Great question, Barry. Yeah. Because, <laughs> <yeah. not> <laughs> He's
3: That's like a video game. Yeah. yeah. All right. My last question. I <laughs> oh, promise. I, uh, I I know it's a little premature, but if you could write, if you were writing your first sentence of your hockey eulogy, what would it say?
0: Stanley cup champion in 2023.
2: Okay. okay
3: that's, that's awesome. Really...
2: That. Yeah. And, and
1: that's max. The only thing that's missing for you. And, yeah. and, um, listen, I, I think, and you just said that a lot of great players who played the game. Never got that sniff. I'm telling you, if we don't win an 86 Patrick why don't come along and close the mule? Like I should have left school one year earlier. I would have had that Stanley Cup. I didn't. So if I never won in 86, here's what a, what would have happened. I would have missed that Stanley Cup. And then 92, I wanted to come back and play another year. They said, no, we only want one older guy in the team. You're finished. I was done. Then they win that year, 92-93. Imagine if I never win one. I miss yeah. both. I'm like, ah, fuck. But again, doesn't diminish your... Korea at all, but boy, it, it it'd be awesome. I'd love to see fucking lift that Stanley Cup um with um Yesperi Kutkenyemi. <laughs> right? Uh it'd be awesome. It'd be oh, awesome yeah. for you. They're oh, close. Yeah. I'm excited. Right? They're they're close. ever yeah, close. So,
0: yeah. And um yeah, we're
1: close. yeah. Listen, I wanna thank you for joining me today. Awesome, Max and Tim and and Barry and Uh, so, so much appreciated. I do. And I want to wish you nothing but the best moving forward. You were gracious with your time. And like Barry said, upfront and honest, that's all we could ask. So thanks a lot, buddy.